Um, I've got a couple of children, and uh, one of them is uh, one of them has a reasonably high level of ambition. Um, shortly after learning how to ride a bike, uh, at the age of uh, four, we moved into a house with a fairly steep driveway that um, goes down towards the road, and. Uh, and he, uh, he announced to me uh, one afternoon, we're sitting out the front and the kids are riding their bikes around just, you know, in little circles on the road. And, uh, uh, you know, he'd done it two or three times around the road. He announced, uh, he announced to me he was going to ride his bike from the top. He goes, Dad, I'm, I'm going I'm to start from up there. And uh, I can assure you, if I had let him try, uh, he would, you wouldn't be looking at the same child today. Uh, he'd, he'd have a gravel rash that equals two-face. Um, I didn't let him. He, he, the reality is, uh, for my son, uh, he needs to be uh, a taught. He can't do. He can't make that decision. He can't do that on his own. Um, the, the reality is, um, we can't do anything on our own. I want you to think about the last time you drove somewhere new. Uh, have a think about it. You, you took a trip. You went on a, on a holiday. Um, whatever. You had to visit someone. You, you drove somewhere new. What did it look like for you? Uh, did you, by your own uh, insight and wisdom, reach your destination? Is that what happened? Did you, you know, independently assess uh, each turn and, and make a decision whether to turn left or right in order to get uh, where you needed to go? No, not at all. Uh, Google Maps schooled you like a baby and you mercilessly clung to its step-by-step instructions. <laughs> Left? Okay, 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 I'm left. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Rerouting. Ah, no, you know, you, you clung to the instructions it gave you step by step. You can't do anything on your own. Yet somehow the lie continues. When was the last time you self-diagnosed? How did that go for you? Ah, it's just a case of inner turmoil of the stomach. Or uh, that's just a bruised kidney, I think. Or I've got a, a knotted artery and it's keeping me awake at night. Um, it just it doesn't happen. You go to the doctor when something is wrong and you talk to someone who knows what they're doing and they, um, they teach you about your body and about what you need to do in order to be healthy. Um, you know, teenagers, teenagers long for this sort of perceived freedom. They long to do things on their own, um, yet they bemoan the absence of their mother's tender care and their father's guidance, <laughs> right? Sure. You're all good. We're going to leave for the weekend and we want you to take care of the house. Mom, when are you coming back? I'm starving. Please send help. <laughs> right? We can't do anything independently. Can you imagine uh, setting up an Ikea chest of drawers without the instructions? No, some of you just had traumatic flashbacks uh, where you tried and, uh, and you're, you just <laughs> you had a little heart palpitation. That's a heart palpitation. And no, I'm not a doctor. Uh, can you imagine uh, autonomy in a battle? Can you imagine <laughs> the conversation after a battle where a, um, a, a leading soldier asks one of his men, what happened there, mate? Uh, and his, he replies, oh, I thought it was best to use the grenade early on. And then the, the, uh, the chief says, mate, but your whole squadron was in front of you. <laughs> can you imagine? There, there isn't any autonomy in, in a battle. Um, the problem is, and here's, here's what I'm getting at, the, the problem is that our sinfulness and our pride fools us into believing the lie of autonomy. And that is that I know what I need, 
and I don't need anyone else to achieve it. Or even in, in the moments of um, false humility, I know what I need, and I'm okay to admit that um, I need a little direction and, and, and assistance to get there. So it's like halfway. Look, I know, I know what I need, and I'm okay to admit that I need a little help um, to get there. It's fundamentally flawed. We are not autonomous beings. We don't have the full picture. We're not in control. We don't have a clear view. We're stuck in our pride. Um, what we need is we need someone to help us make sense of our lives. Um, <laughs> thank you, Diff. I really appreciate the joke. That's hilarious. Um, could someone please get those lights? I've, uh, I'm worried about the sun. Um, so um, that would be great. Thanks. Uh, but what we need, the, the point is we need someone to help us make sense of our lives. Um, we, we look, what happens is we look to people. Um, we get to this conclusion sometimes through trouble and we look to people who we think are authorities on, on the subject. You know, we look um, for wise counsel or, or advice for people who excel in their field. Um, but what we forget, what we tend to forget is that those people are humans too. And as it turns out, they suffer from the same fatal flaw that you do. And we get just as stuck in the same cycle. So what we need, where we sort of land, is we need to find someone with a clear view on life. If we can't do anything on our own, if that's true, if we need to be taught things and shown the way life works, we actually need to find someone with a clear view on life. With all authority. Like someone who has the full picture and someone who has full authority. Someone who actually sits above our lives and can look down and, and help us make sense of it. And the Bible helps us to see this. This is the divine. This is the one who's above. This is God who is the creator of it all and helps us to make sense of it all. We need God. We need his wisdom and his instruction. We need God to come down and help us make sense of our lives, to rescue us from our pride and our sinful hearts and to teach us how to live. And the good news is that he has. Christ has come. You know, we've just, we're just on the back of Easter. Christ has come and Christ has lived the perfect life. He's died a sinless death in our place and he's resurrected to conquer death. And he calls people to repent and know life in him. He calls them to follow him and learn how to live again. Come and follow me. And those that he calls, he sends to make disciples. And this is where we're, um, this is where we're up to today. Um, I'd love to read uh, the text, uh, Matthew 28, verse 16 uh, through to 20. And then uh, we're going to, to dive into this, this question uh, of what it means to be a disciple. Just while you're opening up uh, Matthew 28, just please do take note that even the uh, pulpit and the water table are actually practicing social distancing. I have, actually have to take a step all the way over here to get a drink. So uh, you'll, be, you'll be assured that we're taking things very seriously here. All right, Matthew 28 verse 16 says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe 
all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. I just want to quickly explore the idea of a disciple uh, and then jump into this uh, text. We're going to just follow it fairly closely, just line by line, so you can keep uh, your Bible open if you've got it. Um, What does it mean to be a disciple? Well, a disciple is a follower, someone who models their life after another. Parents make disciples of their children. They teach them about the world. Um, They show them how to live. Um, So if if we're to be making disciples who follow Jesus, what's the most important question? Um, What's the big um, question that we're asking there? Think about it for a second. If I came to you and said, hey, follow me for a sec, what would you ask? If I just came down and I just went over and I said, hey, come and follow me for a sec, what would you ask? First thing, just instinctively you would say, where? Where where are we going? And that's the fundamental question of disciple-making. Where is Jesus going? What's the direction? What direction did he lead? So just for like a a 20-second sort of fundamental understanding, Jesus spent his ministry announcing the coming kingdom of God, right? His opening line for his ministry was, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And where was he going? He spent his ministry. Where was he heading? Um, How did that culminate? He was going to the cross. He was going to the cross as the final act of self-sacrificial love to inaugurate his kingdom, to establish himself as king over his kingdom. So what does following a king like this look like? Willingly walking towards death through radical acts of self-sacrificial love. Willingly counting the emotional, physical, financial and relational costs to love others and work for their good. All right, we're going to unpack that a whole bunch now as we walk through uh, Matthew 28. Um, Let's jump into verse 17 and we'll kick off from there. So um, we've just come off the back of the resurrection, right? We've just come out of Easter. Um, Jesus has spent time visiting his disciples. uh, And now um, this is is the the, uh, famous Great Commission scene as he prepares to leave earth. So that, you know, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, uh, which Jesus had directed them, right? So like this is the sort of last hurrah. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Um, But some doubted. Uh, The first thing as we try to think about discipleship, the first thing that we need to realize is that there's a distinction between evangelism and discipleship. The disciples couldn't help but worship Christ as king. When you see Christ for who he truly is, you cannot help but respond to him. And there's a difference there. If you are not in awe of Christ this morning, uh, you're not seeing him clearly and you're not seeing yourself clearly. Um, let, me, let me just help you maybe wrestle with this. One of the common objections to faith, um, uh, uh, sort of tested and true objection is, well, why does God let bad things happen to good people? Um, there, now, there's a lot in that question, but and we're not going to wrestle with that too much today, but... Um, One of the big problems with that statement is that you're not good. You you failed the test. Uh, You chose to live apart from God. You chose to live a life apart from the Creator, from God, and you rejected Him and His goodness. You twisted and corrupted everything that you've been entrusted with. Yourself, your heart, your relationships, your responsibilities, and there's there's a penalty for that. You failed and there's a penalty. Everything comes at a cost. If I steal a chocolate bar from a store and I take it back 
and I say sorry, and uh, Jerry, the store owner, says, that's okay, not a drama. It sort of looks as if everything is, is uh, made right again, when in fact there was a cost. Um, uh, uh, Jerry doesn't have a chocolate bar anymore, so he bears the cost of that lost. It's not um, just everything's okay again. Um, there's a penalty that needs to be paid. If there is a God and if you have wronged him, if you haven't lived as you ought to, if God is just, if you really want justice, then you deserve to die. That's just. If, if that's the thing you really want, um, then you ought to be penalized. And the good news is that Christ came. Christ came and lived the life, uh, the perfect life that you couldn't. He died a death in your place uh, and he rose to life again to conquer death and to call people to join him. So if you don't know Christ today, that's really good news for you. Uh, the, the bad news is that you failed. You failed to live as God called you to um, and you, you deserve death. Um, and Christ has come to make a way for you. And, and, and that's like, that is like really, really good news. That is uh, why last weekend was so sad and in some uh, way because we couldn't celebrate that together as a church. We couldn't be together and be, and be celebrating the resurrection. We could do it online, but we couldn't be together as a church celebrating the greatest event that ever happened. Um, so if you don't follow Jesus, I'll ask you to reconsider. He has really good news for you. But some doubted. We're moving on in, in uh, the verse, but some doubted. There is mercy for those who doubt. Can you just... Um, just grab this for a second. Um, these disciples, remarkably, now even still, looking at the resurrected Christ, doubt. Can you just, just again, just rewind a chapter. Imagine seeing his bloodied, beaten, lifeless body crucified on a cross just a couple of weeks earlier and doubting him as you looked at his resurrected form. Can you, can you imagine like how stunning that is to witness that, to witness a bloodied, lifeless form and to see the resurrected body of Jesus um, uh, and, and then yet still to doubt. Let him who God has given eyes to see rejoice in the glory of seeing. Um, and let him who hasn't let them plead for sight. Um, how does Jesus respond to doubters? Uh, Jesus came and said to them, <laughs> uh, what does Christ do to both those who worship him and those who doubt him? Well, he comes near to them and, and, he, and he welcomes them. He draws close and he speaks to them in a familiar way. Notice the affirmation of those who doubt, just as the one who, who trains, he puts his body under pressure and he, and he tests himself. So too does the one who doubts. He puts his faith under pressure in order to make it stronger, to, to question, in order to prove, in order to hold fast. Sincere faith doesn't necessarily mean strong faith. <laughs> so we, we welcome you this morning. If you have doubts, if, there's, if there are categories and questions in your mind about, about Christ, um, don't stand back with those doubts. Don't fall to the rear because you are someone else who's not like every other Christian. 
Um, but press in, press in with your doubts and your fears and put those on the table. Put those on the table with your community, with other believers. You need to carry those. I doubt that God will truly accept me. Somehow in my folly, I continue to doubt that God actually accepts me for who I am. And I feel this relentless struggle to please him. That's me. That's me right there putting uh, my doubts on the table week after week after week. And what does my community say to me? <laughs> Matt, did you forget the cross? Did you forget that the final and full acceptance that you received in Christ because of his work? You forget that? Yeah, I forget that all the time and I get back on the treadmill and I doubt that God actually wants to accept me. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority. What does Jesus say? He says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. I've given up everything for you. I've given up my throne and suffered and died. When you arrogantly fight for authority and control, I humbly give it up for you. I've served you. I've loved you. I've forgiven you. I've humbled myself to the point of death. The creator of the world has become the servant of the world. Through my death, the world can now know life. Because of my humble obedience, the Father has given me authority. I didn't, I didn't uh, take it. I didn't demand it. I didn't, I didn't take it by force. I overcame evil by letting it overcome me in the ultimate act of self-sacrifice. And because my Father, because of that, because of that, Act because of the willingness to die, my Father has exalted me. He has exalted me as the name above every name. At my name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. I am the true King. I am your King. What's he saying? What's he saying? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's saying, I am the servant King. And my kingdom isn't like you think it is. And, and he's, he's saying even, even more than that. Um, he's saying, what, what, sorry, let's get inside of that. I am the servant king. I am the servant. I've served you. I've done everything that's needed for you to come to the father and to be accepted. But he's also saying, I am the king. I am the king. So if you, if you follow Christ today, don't have any misconceptions about who's in charge, right? About who rules over you, about who, uh, who you are obedient to, who you submit to, who you follow. There is a king. And then what does he say? He says, go, therefore, I'm calling people to follow me and imitate me. Come follow me. Go, therefore, go. Notice how this king uses his power. I've got all authority now go. I want you to trust me. Don't, um, don't at this point, don't uh, fall for the temptation to think about works righteousness. Well, Christ has done the work and he's, uh, you know, he's got it. He's got it covered. No, no, Christ did the full and final work and now he's sending you. Um, you, are, you are his tool 
um, for his church. That you are the, the church is his tool for the world. So Jesus has sent you. Um, now, what, now, this is where we're going to spend a, a little bit of our time getting inside of what it means to be a disciple. What does it mean to make a disciple? That's the big question today. When a disciple is fully formed, he, he'll do what his teacher does. So when I mentioned before that parents disciple their kids, well, we show them how to live. We um, show them how to dress themselves and how to respond and, and how to safely uh, cross the road, right? So when a parent disciples their children, they show them how they ought to live. And that child, uh, uh, you, you know that that's successful when the child responds as the parent does. That's the picture of success. So discipleship perhaps is less about the moments where you're specifically trying to communicate something and more about the way in which you influence the people around you, the way you model to others and influence them to think and respond each of us has influence over those around us. So we are, in some sense, consistently discipling. We're regularly doing that. Um, now, just to, to make another distinction here, go therefore and make disciples. You cannot disciple someone who isn't following Jesus. Okay? You can evangelize them. You can tell them the gospel and you can lead them to Christ, but unless they are following Christ in the first place, unless they've repented and they've humbled themselves and they've decided, actually, I do want to follow Christ. I'm, I'm, I'm submitting to him. I'm submitting uh, my life and my decisions to the final and full authority of Christ. Unless they are following Christ in the first place, you can't lead them to follow Christ any, any further. Um, these things, are it's self-fulfilling though, right? What do faithful disciples long for? Well, they long for more people to know Christ for who he is. So, so the distinction here is evangelism is the precursor for discipleship. Look at the model in the book of Acts. It's, it's, it's radical. Paul rocks up into a town, says something controversial or offensive and waits for a, a crowd to, to um, sort of gather and then preaches the gospel and he calls them to repent. And then he gets out of town before someone kills him, you know, before a riot starts and then sends in others to straighten things out and do the work of discipleship. Right? So there's a distinction there. So when we think about discipleship, we are thinking primarily about how we teach and train one another in the church community to follow Christ. So if you're not in the church community, if you don't belong to Christ, uh, I, I want to encourage you to reconsider that. You need to consider following Christ and, and uh, allowing him as the authority, as the creator, to help you make sense of your life, to, to, to lead you in the path that you ought to go. So make, to go therefore making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What's the role of baptism in the life of the believer? Well, um, fits right in there. Evangelism, salvation, baptism, and then discipleship. Baptism is the public affirmation of repentance and salvation through Christ. Here I am publicly declaring to this community, I belong to Christ, right? It's, it's this turning point, a symbol of Christ's transformation. I'm dying. I'm dead to myself and I'm coming alive in Christ. And I want you all to see that. It's this little uh, beautiful, precious symbol that we have uh, as a church community to affirm that to one another and to the world. Here we go, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. A 
teaching them. All right, I'm going to give you uh, five little, um, I'm going to give you a, uh, I don't actually know the literature, I don't know the device that I'm using, but someone like Henrietta can um, comment what this is. How teaching, who teaching, do teaching, go teaching, and no teaching. I want to give you five ways to reconsider what it looks like to make disciples um, through the way that we teach. How teaching. All right, the, the sad state of the modern church would lead you to believe that the main form, the, the, the um, most um, regular form of teaching is a 45-minute monologue delivered on a Sunday. The reality is that there's little evidence in the New Testament for the sermon as we know it. Look at Christ's ministry. Look at what he did. Uh, uh, what did he do? Most of Christ's teaching was in homes or on the side of the road. And what was it? It was, it was dialogue. It was conversations. It was uh, sayings and stories. It was parables. Even the sermons we hear from the apostles in Acts, they're not before a church. They're evangelistic messages that are delivered before a mob or a court giving defense. Right? Consider Acts 20. This is one of the closest scenes we have to Paul delivering a sermon in a, in a church. Acts 20 verse 7 says, On the first day of the week, uh, when we gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, inten intending to depart on the next day, talked with them. He's having a dialogue with the gathered church. Is a conversation. What's the point here? The point here isn't at all to denigrate the sermon. It's to e elevate the value of dialogue, stories, and sayings. It's to elevate the informal conversation the importance of asking questions, of listening and examining. It's, it's cultural consideration, considering the things that we know and understand about our culture at the moment. Now, if this is how we ought to teach disciples, consider for a second just how normal and helpful discipleship actually sounds. Consider for a second. In our good, good intentions, we think, if I can just get this person to understand, and we... And we, we uh, when we resort to the kids sitting at the table choking on a monologue, right? Or our friend or, or a family member just choking down a monologue from us trying to deliver what they need to hear. How do we teach? We teach through dialogue, through stories and sayings and through, through parables. Um, listen to a, um, a quote from Clint uh, Snodgrass. He wrote a very, very, very lengthy book on the parables, it's Christ's primary way of teaching people. Um, and he talks, about, um, this, he talks about direct communication. He says this, Direct communication is important for conveying information, but learning is more than information intake, especially if the learner is someone who already thinks they understand. People entrenched in their current understanding set their defenses against direct communication and end up conforming the message into the channels of their current understanding of reality, right? So if, 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 um, if someone already has a perspective on something and you go in with direct communication, they're going to set their defenses against you and they're just going to conform it to however they want to understand it. And then he goes on to say this, but indirect communication finds a way in through the back window to confront a person's view of reality. A parable's ultimate aim is to draw in the listener, to awaken insight, to stimulate the conscience and to move to action. Jesus' parables are prophetic instruments used to get God's people to stop, 
reconsider their way of viewing reality and change their behavior. So think about this for a second. If you are commissioned to make disciples, how, how ought you to teach? Think about how normal and helpful conversations and stories and sayings are. This the, the everyday language of the Australian person. Um, think about how you, could, um, how you could grow in that way. Who teaching? So th- this is an easy one. Uh, how teaching, who teaching? Who's responsible for teaching disciples? Well, um, we've, just, we've just talked about that. We're, we're all responsible. Um, truth isn't primarily formal. It's dynamic. It needs to land, right? It, 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 it is like it, it, it's dynamic. It requires close relationships to press in on and apply it. So who's responsible for this? The, we are. The, the church community are responsible for pressing into each other with God's truth. Um, all of us are. Do teaching. Um, Deuteronomy 6, uh, 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. The word hear there. Um, embedded in that Hebrew word is the understanding of listening and doing. Um, uh, the Jews had an understanding that to hear something wasn't simply just to um, audibly hear it, but to actually listen and then do it. Um, and that's, that's like a posture. Um, so do teaching. There's an element to teaching that isn't s- simply passing on information, um, but the engaged, leaning in, how is that going now? What does that look like now? Um, what does it mean to hear and do this truth? So for me to talk about justification uh, or, or uh, sanctification or, or a, a large theological truth, um, the challenge in discipleship making is how do we, what, is, what, is it, what do you do? What do you do tomorrow? What do you do tomorrow as a result of that reality? How do you get that right down into the way you talk? to your mom on the phone uh, or your dog when he's playing up on the lead or whatever, you know, how do you get that right down into, into do teaching? Um, and then go teaching. Um, Deuteronomy continues by saying, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. What does it look like um, for, a, again, using the parent model, what does it look like for them to disciple your, your, your children? Well, rarely, rarely does it or should it look like a detailed whiteboard explanation, you know, uh, about how to judge traffic and anticipate movement. Um, but, but rather, it involves getting out on the road, making a few clear comments repeatedly, grabbing them by the hand and then crossing, right? If you think about that example of crossing the road, it's not a detailed whiteboard where you go over all of the dynamics that are at play and what could happen in the scenarios, but it's um, son, daughter, I need you to watch me, have a look out for cars, hold my hand and let's go. And I'm going to repeat that over and over and over again. Okay, just keep an eye out. Look, simple, clear, but it's going. It's, it's in the activity um, that, we, um, that we teach. And then no teaching. Uh, what is it that we are seeking to teach? And one way to consider this is to ask the question, how can I lead this person to follow Jesus more closely? How does God's word open up their eyes to see more clearly and to renew them in a new way 
Um, we ought to consider um, what it is that, that we're actually teaching people um, and, and have some sort of picture of how God's truth and God's reality uh, maps onto that. Um, we ought uh, to be people who teach as those who are taught. Um, as we partner with Christ and as he renews us and as he challenges us and as we grow, we teach as those who are taught of Christ. Um, you guys can jump up um, as we wrap up. Uh, Jesus, the, the reality is Jesus is the hope for disciple makers. Um, you, aren't, you aren't self-sustaining, right? That what, we, what we concluded at the start um, was that you can't do anything on your own. You need someone to show you how to live. You need someone to teach you and to model for you the way that life works and the way that you ought to live. Um, you aren't self-sustaining. You aren't a mover and shaker. You're not a change maker. We are partners with Christ. We are disciples who have received Christ and received his truth and received his life and then been sent. Go, therefore, make disciples. I want you to make disciples by baptizing them and teaching them all that I've observed you. What does Christ say um, to the bold and the fearful, to the energetic and the weary? How does he finish this commission? Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am always with you. Remember this. Remember who resources you. Remember who brings about change. Remember who strengthens you, who guides you, who preserves you, who encourages you, who walks with you. I'm with you. It's a big task. What I'm asking you to do is bold. You need to get off the couch. You, know, you need to do something about this. This is an active thing, an active partnership. I'm asking you to go. But I'm the energy and I'm the power working through you. Trust me. Lean on me. Depend on me for everything you need. Now go, therefore, right? This, this um, text uh, is, is a little confronting in, in one sense because this is a, um, a, uh, a great text uh, for the doers. You know, it's like, yeah, come on, let's go and do. Uh, but it's a little more confronting um, for, for people who might feel like that's a little bit uncomfortable. Um, but I am with you always. Remember who brings about change. Who transforms heart? Who worked in you? Who renewed you? Well, Jesus did. And he wants to work through you um, to extend that to, to other people. So church, we've got a, um, an opportunity here and, and an opportunity now more than ever to be discipling one another to follow Jesus. Have a think about this. Have a think about how you can, how you can respond to Christ's command and how you can be a faithful disciple who makes disciples, um, who leads people to follow Jesus.